0: the best time of the day show. I allude to a late friend of mine who worked at a, a Top Shelf magazine many times on this uh, particular podcast because he was just a fund of stories because so many terrible things happened or things that were so funny and bizarre working with this magazine that basically had he lived and I since he had because he was, wish he had because he was such a good friend of mine uh, he was going to write a book about his experiences and that sadly will no longer be uh, happening however I'm trying to keep the flame alive by trying to pass on some of the stories that he told me over the years now Bearing in mind, this is a top shelf magazine and they're not being paid. The editorial staff is three of them. It takes a month. It's a monthly magazine. There are 13 uh, issues a year because they do a Christmas issue. And it only takes about two weeks to do the whole thing because it doesn't take very long. But they are terribly demoralized, this workforce, because they know that the owner, the editor is the owner and he's a multimillionaire and they're getting a pittance for doing this. And it's not—it's not glamorous at all. They went some pokey offices off Chancery Lane in London, and they were totally and utterly demoralised. So therefore, they would actually have certain—they they evolved certain coping mechanisms because they were so fed up. You know what? <laughs> the acme of a dull weekend was what are you doing instead of going. Well, I'm going to go the pictures, or I might watch a bit of television. No, the the acme of a dull weekend was so. What are you do at the weekend? Big Mac and a w- <laughs> and that was what it was. Yeah, big, uh, weekend, Big Mac and a w- <laughs> All right. So therefore, rather than they realise that there's an awful lot of wasted effort when it comes to sort of pleasantries and niceness. When if you know someone really well, you don't you have a shorthand, don't you? So therefore, they did something which I adopted. Uh, for the show and it worked really rather well was instead of going through that whole business of you know hello how's your day been good journey in etc 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 if you're really demoralized you just want to just sit there you take the cover off the typewriter and start hammering out some more girl copy or whatever you know you just it's just too much effort isn't it one by one they would come into the office at 10 o'clock in the morning or whatever and just look at each other and go standard greeting to which the response was standard reply and then they could get on with the business of the day which involved all sorts of different things including some of which we've mentioned in uh, previous podcasts uh, and others we haven't got round to yet uh, including Joke Mastermind where once the, uh, the they spent the, the first two weeks of the month putting the uh, magazine to bed they had to somehow fill in the rest of the time for the next two weeks um, or well, they had to look busy when the editor came out probably, or came rolling back from some very expensive lunch reeking of brandy and cigars um, they had a vast overstuffed and very worn out armchair in the office, and they would sit there and pretend it was the mastermind chair. And uh, there were, people would fire punchlines at them, and they had to guess the original joke. So they had to come up with the original joke. You know that sort of. So for two points, he'd only tried it once, and his hat fell off. Whoop whoop! That's a such and such a joke. You know, and that, that's what they would do. But in the end, it was that whole sort of how instead of going, "How are you today?" Standard greeting, standard reply. So how did I start out? What was my first job? Well, I had a number of jobs to begin with, but I think probably the first one, I knew that entertainment was in my blood when I applied for a job at Dudley Zoo as a green man. Now, they had enough animals, real bona fide animals, but they wanted something to make a bit more exciting, I suppose, because, you know, I suppose the average lemur doesn't do an awful lot, so... They thought they'd sort of make it a bit more exciting by getting some sort of live action thing. This was in the 70s, so uh, when you think about it these days, if you go to a museum, there's always someone in costume doing something. Um, so they wanted me to be a gorilla. They had, they had their own gorillas, but they wanted me to be a green one in the land of the dinosaurs. Now, the land of the dinosaurs was an area of, of basically wasteland, really, that they thought they ought to do something to make this into an attraction. So they got some, from somewhere some fibreglass... Dinosaurs. There was a a stegosaurus and there was a a tyrannosaurus rex and there was something else which I can't remember or can't identify. And their heads wobbled very slightly and there was um, the noise they made of roaring was actually an eight track tape cartridge, which I used to fire up in the the ticket kiosk uh, when I first arrived in the morning uh, of lions and tigers roaring played backwards to give you that authentic tyrannosaurus rex roar one of the other things i had to do was also was to light the volcano yeah no self-respecting land of the dinosaurs is without a volcano which was consisted of um inside a fiberglass volcano which is quite small was actually uh, an oil drum with grass cuttings and sump oil in there on a good day you could get so much smoke that people would be in and out of the attraction in seconds flat but the green man idea was i had to sit there very quietly by the side of the track, wearing this gorilla outfit, which was not quite as exciting as you thought, because in fact it was just an ordinary pair of dungarees, where you know that fake grass they have outside greengrocers to put the apples and pears on? It was that which had been glued to it, and I had a pair of gloves with the similar stuff on, and a gorilla mask in a balaclava helmet, but there was no gorilla feet, so I was wearing plimsolls. So if you imagine a green gorilla looking really not very gorilla-like, uh, with steam escaping from the eye holes of the mask because it was so hot in there. It was, just, it was the height of summer, and I'm wearing gloves, for crying out loud, and wearing plimsolls. Uh, not very convincing in the world of gorillas. It's scarcely gorillas in the mist. Uh, but the job was, is when people stared at me for a while, I was supposed to go, boo and fright the life out of them, uh, which gave people a shock other people go oh i knew you were going to do that or on one occasion a bloke tried to punch me because his wife had got such a shock that the baby had fallen out of the pram and kids would throw stones at me however i had help not human help but animal help because as long as well as as the gorilla that was me there were cyrus cranes and an emu now the emu was my friend the emu would see if there was any bad behaviour going on, put its head down and run at the perpetrator. You have never seen so many schoolboys run quite so quickly as they... For their five pence or whatever, they didn't get their money's worth. Come in, throw a stone at me, you'll get a nasty peck from the emu. And that was... I knew at that particular point that show business was in my blood. And so at the end of the season, I had to go and ask the manager because I had a tax bill... I had a tax demand thing. I had to fill in a tax return. And I said, what am I going to put down? I can't really put Green Gorilla down. And he went, huh, you think you've got problems? There's a girl over by the, the elephant house. She's a chocolate frog. Now, in a, my, an earlier incarnation of my life, I was a, a terrible blues harmonica player. And um, over the years, I've stopped playing. And most recently, I've started again, and in fact did my first gig only uh, a couple of three weeks ago, which proved to me that I'm even worse now than I was 40 years ago. However, I would always take, it's a portable instrument, have one in your pocket, because you never know when you might uh, have an opportunity to play. And I remember going to this pub in Kidderminster, and there was the most dreadful guitar player and singer he was absolutely appalling but he had masses and masses of guitar effects pedals and loops and all of wah-wah pedals and fuzz boxes and things like that and masses of amplification even though he was dreadful this man all this technology managed to hide the fact how terrible he was so this wall of awful sound and uh to, to drunks this sounded like marvelous music but he wasn't absolutely appalling he really was embarrassing you know i think my harmonica playing was bad i think probably his guitar playing was even worse however he invited me up to play okay fair enough so i thought i'll join this wall of sound and as i was walking towards a little stage in the corner of this boozer bloke said he's as good as eric clapton you know i thought not bloody likely he isn't he scarcely knows which way to hold a thing let alone but if, you know, if he's just leaning on those pedals there's all sorts of sounds going to come out uh, but i scarcely say it's music so anyway we started a number together me making awful honking noises on my harmonica and him wrestling with his guitar and terrible sounds coming out of the enormous amplification and uh, this obviously uh, electrified one member of the audience who thought they would actually take part so this bloke leapt from his table clutching two empty tonic water bottles which he started to play a la a la Spoons. If you can imagine, this tiny boozer in Kidderminster, okay, it's about half past ten at night, everyone is shit-faced, this bloke with massive and massive amplification and no talent whatsoever, and me, also with no talent whatsoever, making awful honking noises down the microphone. Meanwhile, in the centre of a little dance floor area, there's a bloke rattling away with these empty tonic water bottles, thinking he's Sam Spoons. That is until there was a scream and uh, the sound of smashing glass, as he'd rather over-enthusiastically played Laid the spoons or the bottles, and <laughs> smashed the bottles and lacerated himself rather badly. Uh, but uh, I think uh, he was sort of mo- he was mopped up and carted off. I think, and uh, I don't know what happened to the terrible guitarist from the pub in Kidderminster that many years ago. But I do know that the terrible harmonica player from that pub is still here talking to you now. Romance, of course, is never far from our hearts, is it, when you think about it? And uh, we always hope for a, a happy ending, and maybe most people, not everybody, will think, oh, I'd like to get married and live happily ever after. And uh, sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. Now, a friend of mine, Faye, many years ago, ma- met her, her match, and uh, they duly got married. Now, the thing was, she's very organised, and he, was well, less so. And so, therefore, they decided, they, they, what they wanted, well, they wanted a really romantic honeymoon destination somewhere which a bit of sunshine you know a bit of wine a beautiful sea view from the hotel you know the blue that the aegean or somewhere like that or the mediterranean somewhere with the beautiful blue maybe the odd palm tree this sort of thing and they wanted it to be upscale as well because they were sort of they were doing all right in their jobs and so they and it was the honeymoon so it's got to be the holiday of a lifetime they duly worked out and they looked at the internet and they sorted it all out and they booked it they booked what they thought was the honeymoon suite uh, in this hotel and they wanted you know when they arrived that there had to be a bucket of a, a, a ice cold bucket with champagne and you know, a guy's bucket champagne in there and this sort of thing maybe a bowl of fruit and you know the the drapes are drawn and the french windows are open onto the balcony you can see this marvellous blue sea, azure sea or whatever, and they thought this is just what we wanted, more than anything else and they duly thought they got it all and they'd actually phoned the hotel in their best room conversed with the people who were running the hotel in well i suppose their best broken spanish stroke greek or whatever and sure enough they, you know they got off the plane and were in a taxi to the hotel and they were greeted warmly by the uh the the owner of the hotel said, ah the honeymooners etc is marvelous but something somehow got lost in translation so when they were shown to their room which was a very grand room and they had a beautiful view of the balcony and the beautiful azure sea and they had uh, the bowl of fruit big bowl of fruit very luscious fruit pineapples bananas everything like that and cooling in the ice bucket with a magnum of champagne on the bedside table between the two single beds the best time of the day show is back monday please, please. <laughs> Best Time of the Day show is a Loading Zone production. la da